Grace, peace, and welcome to Podcast of the Wills, a podcast that treats Star Wars like a sacred text. My name is Nick Milkey, and I am your host, and we are here on Sunday night, ready to hang out, ready to talk Star Wars, ready to talk to an amazing guest, and have a good time and hang out. We're going to make a drink tonight. We haven't made a drink in a couple of weeks, so I'm excited about that. Um, before we get started, a couple of housekeeping things, um, and I don't have the link available, but I'll put it out on Twitter when we get done tonight. Um, we do have a merch store, I guess is what we're calling it. Um, over on Teespring, there are Podcast of the Wheels t-shirts. There are pillows, coffee mugs, stickers, you know, anything that you really feel like you need Podcast of the Wheels on. Um, you can go and get it from Teespring, Teespring, Public. That's what it's called, Public. Um, so I'll put the link up for that on Twitter after we get done tonight. And I would love for y'all to rock some podcast of the wheels gear. Uh, I hope that if I make it to celebration next year, that I'm going to see somebody wearing a shirt out in the wild. And if I don't make it, I hope I see pictures of people wearing podcast of the wheels gear, you know, floating around. It just, just kind of one of those fun. Hey, that's me kind of things. Um, also I've talked about this a couple weeks in a row. We haven't had a new episode yet, but if you want to listen to something that is funny, I also want to point you to heroes of the mom. CU. it's the podcast that I'm doing with my four daughters and my wife because my wife has never seen any of the Marvel movies and she thinks that Mighty Mouse and He-Man are a part of the MCU. And we're watching each one of the movies and kind of going with that classic fish out of water tale of beforehand. What do you think this is about afterwards? You know, why after watching the movie, getting back with her and breaking it down and seeing what does she think? Um, so far we've seen the first Captain America, Captain Marvel and the first two Iron Man movies. So next up is going to be the Hulk. Um, that one's going to be a little bit tough, but I'm hoping our saving grace is going to be that it's an Edward Norton movie and my wife loves Edward Norton. So that may be what gets us through that kind of struggly stretch of that particular movie. So we would love for you to check that out. Um, I want to give a shout out to some people in the live chat. I see Matthew. I see Framie. I see JD. I see Brandon. Um, I'm so glad y'all are hanging out tonight. You have shown up for an excellent show and I couldn't be more excited to have my guests that I have tonight. Um, I'm excited to have my guests for many reasons. Uh, my guest tonight is Brian Berry. Brian is one of the hosts of Pink Milk Podcast. Um, it is Brian and it is his husband, Tom. I'm not going to describe the podcast because that's his deal and I'm going to let him tell us about it. Um, I have wanted to have Brian on the show for a couple of months now and I haven't gotten to it. Um, so I do want to say up front, I'm excited that Brian is here. I'm especially, especially excited that Brian is here during Pride Month. I think that that is going to be a part of our conversation tonight. But I want to say I don't have Brian on because it's Pride Month. That's just a bonus that that's when I got him to be here because I have wanted to have Brian on for a while. And I'm excited to have a conversation with him tonight. So without further ado, let me bring in my friend, Brian. Hello. Dude. Thank you for You're having here. me. I'm very excited. Oh man, I'm so excited to have you on tonight. We have we have crossed paths along the way, you know, message back and forth on Twitter, some of that kind of stuff. And I love the show that you guys do. I love the space that you guys have, not only with Pink Milk, but with the Steam Room. I love popping into those chats on Friday night. Um, I, I like when they take some hard left turns like they did this past week when um, I threw out, we needed a Disney Plus show that was Callus and Zeb in the early parts of the rebellion while also trying to have the house and the white picket fence. Um, you know, there, there's lots of fun places to go on a Friday night when everybody's had some drinks and had that kind of stuff going on. So 
Speaking of having drinks, we are doing one of our guest cocktails tonight. And I'm excited about this because, as I mentioned in the intro, I haven't done one of these in a couple of weeks. And so I had to kind of get my looking up cocktails. What does it take that's not too complicated for me to have to procure as far as ingredients go? <laughs> um, and I landed on one and I'm going to get the recipe card up here. And I didn't get this pre-approved. So I hope Brian is going to be excited about this. Um, oh, it's good. Yeah, it, it's it's going to be. Well, you, you know, the ingredients. You didn't see the name that I came up with and how I decided <laughs> to present this. Um, so let, let me get our, our screen graphics going on here. And let me proudly present Brian's Flavor Saber. <laughs> and... What I oh. what I love about this is it cover it covers a couple of different areas here. We've got you know Luke Young Luke Brian Saber here. Luke Brian, that's country music. That's <laughs> something else. Um, he's holding his lightsaber. Brian is one to rock a mustache, and so you have that flavor saver, flavor saber. You know, mm -hmm. kind of pun and joke. And then <laughs> if we get into you know a Friday night steam room thing, this could take on a whole other you know, meaning. So tonight we are making Brian's flavor saber. And if, and if he wants, you can tell Tom that I can send him the unedited version of this graphic without the words on it, just for, you know, his, his own personal edification. Um, so. I think first of all, he's going to appreciate the pre dad bod. Like I, that I did have that at one point in life. It was there, See? you know, probably and probably wishes it still was. And I don't know. I don't, this, tweet came out this week from i don't know if it was gentle giant or which toy company it was that put this figure out that it was up for pre-order or whatever and they put up a couple of different pictures of this luke skywalker figurine that's coming out and one of them was just the shot of him from behind and that particular luke has been doing some glute work like oh. <laughs> he had he had a very developed re rear situation for a displayable toy that goes in somebody's house so Somebody's going to appreciate that. Um, well, for all those uh, Din or Din Luke shippers, he was just preparing himself to meet Din in a he's few months. To totally getting himself ready for that <laughs> that big moment. So, as we are making our drink, um, and I know this is really enthralling for all of our audio listeners, um, so you just have to take my word for it and go pull up the YouTube video. Um, I've got my Millennium Falcon glass. Hold on, let me switch the, the screen here. Um. Got my, got my Millennium Falcon glass. I've got my shot of gin that I'm going to go ahead and throw in here. Um, I've got my orange juice and what good person from the South doesn't put their drink mixes in mason glasses, mason jars. Um, so we got about half of that. Got my lemon juice, really fancy right here. Another mason jar, about half of that. You want too much, maybe. Um, I've still yet to not pour this on my computer, but tonight might be my lucky night Oop, this way. Um, and then I've got the grenadine. It says a splash of grenadine. So we'll give that a, not making this in a shaker. We're not super fancy around here. Um, as indicated by the mason jars and the lo low production values. Um, and then it called for a lime or a lemon for a garnish, but I didn't have any. So we went with the lime. So I have my Brian's flavor saber and I'm going to raise my glass and cheers to you. Cheers. Sir. Look cheers. at that. I love uh -huh. that. <laughs> mm -hmm. Oh, 
Tasty. This is good. I had to cheat. We were talking okay. before we went live, and I am bachelor man for almost two weeks now. So That's all right. chores have been out the window, and we didn't <laughs> have orange juice. So I substituted right. orange juice for seltzer water. <laughs> hey, it totally works. In fact, um, we didn't have orange juice until I went to the store today, and my kids are going to be thrilled because they're like, holy crap, there's orange juice in the house, which means it'll be gone by tomorrow, but... You know, I, I got what I needed for tonight. So there you go. Everybody wins. So again, cheers to you, sir. Thanks for being cheers. on. Cheers. Thank you. Thank you. I'm very, honestly, I'm very, very excited. Well, um, and I'm still very excited for this tiki. It just showed up on my doorstep this week from a listener sent it to me. How amazing That's is absolutely that? amazing. Yes. Max Rebo Tiki cannot be beaten. And that's one of those collectibles there are always too many collectibles out there and i see things and i'm like oh that's amazing i wish i had that mm -hmm. and then i stop and remember i don't have room for that i don't have the money for that <laughs> you know all these different things but there have been a couple of those tiki's that i've seen along the way that i went mm, i hate i missed the boat on that like you know there's the one that's the millennium falcon that's like a punch bowl mm -hmm. that has the two smaller cups that go with it um there have been the R2D2 one because I'm an R2D2 fan. You know, there are a couple of those that I just think are fantastic. But as my friend Andy from Holocronicles say, I can also enjoy that in your collection. So I don't have to have it for myself. <laughs> so the benefit well, of Brian, Instagram. That's exactly right. Somebody shows me an awesome <laughs> picture. I'm like, man, that's fantastic. Um, so, Brian, tell us as we get started a little bit tonight, give us a little bit of an introduction to Brian. Tell us a little bit about yourself and, you know, who you are. Uh, let's see. I am a father and I am a husband and I'm a massive Star Wars fan and I'm about as simple as that. And I think that's all there is to me. <laughs> well, and there's nothing wrong with that. And as you know, as one of those lines that has become popular in Star Wars over the last couple of years, just a simple man trying to make your way yeah. through the galaxy. Um, so there, there's nothing wrong with any of that. Um, you... So you are, you, like you said, you're a massive Star Wars fan. Tell us a little mm -hmm. bit about your Star Wars origin story. You and I are the same age. And so I feel yep. like it has the potential to follow a similar arc as I do, as mine does. But what I've figured out doing this show over the, the just the live stream, this is our 24th episode, but having a podcast since 2018, even though we could be the same age, like our entry points into Star Wars have the potential to be different or the impact that they have yep. follow different routes. And for you, it certainly will. And we'll get to that. But tell us a little bit about your Star Wars origin story. Yeah, you know, I have to agree with you real quick. Like having a podcast, yep. like hearing all of everyone's and, and listening to podcasts too. But when mm -hmm. people came into Star Wars is one of my favorite things. I Without think in the last few years. I love listening to adults who came in with the sequel trilogy because I feel mm -hmm. like there's so much to garner about the sequel trilogy from those people. It's one of my it's one of my favorite. Yeah, it's very things. fascinating. Yeah. Um, so I am 42. So I mm -hmm. am like a Star Wars kid through and through. Um, Empire Strikes Back was the first movie I saw. Clearly, don't remember it. But uh, Return of the Jedi, I remember very very well. And the first thing that I remember more than anything is this amazing person right here. Um, I am a massive Max Rebo fan. Amazing. And uh, I love this like love that he's been getting for like the last year, year or two. Mm -hmm. 
because yeah. I felt alone in that love for so long. <laughs> um, if you can see right back there by Grogu, I still have my my Kenner my Kenner yes, uh, Max Rebo and the one from the special editions in the '90s. Like I love him; he's my favorite. Yes, <laughs> I yep. love him. Sitting um, right here, and that wasn't planned, by the way. He happens to be yeah. sitting right here. I love it. I love it. Um, but I, I think Star Wars just got me. It was this thing that I always understood. I never knew who my biological father was, and so okay. I grew up in the desert. I grew up in the Southwest, mm -hmm. and so I think Luke was just this person that I instantly attached myself to. Um, sure like like many a star wars fan um but that's where it was and then it just i never left you know i've always been i never left star wars it's always been right. my number one thing forever and always during the dark mm -hmm. times i found my ways um all of it it's it's been um it's just kind of always been there did you like were you an eu books person in that what we called the dark mm -hmm. times I I read a good number of them, mm -hmm. and no disrespect to anyone who loves the EU, but <laughs> I never I never got it. Okay, like I felt like for me, a lot of the stories didn't feel they lost the childhood part, like the childhood sure. fun of Star Wars, and mm -hmm. it got a little too heavy for me. Um, right. And again, if you're no no disrespect. <laughs> <laughs> but like last Jedi Luke Skywalker was the Luke Skywalker I always wanted to see. And I feel like the Fantastic. EU like forgot every, I think they forgot who he was in return of the Jedi. Like yeah. he had a split minute there where mm -hmm. he did some cool stuff, but Yoda tells him, you know, once you start down a dark path forever, it will dominate your destiny. And yep. the EU completely ignored that line. And it was yeah. incredibly important. And the last Jedi, we saw the, the reaction to that always, you know, the dark side yes. is always chasing you now. And I think it was, um, so I appreciated that so much. And that was just, I think that was the thing with the EU that I could never get into mm -hmm. for me. Yeah, I agree. For me. Uh, yeah. I, I, I love the EU and I read, especially the Thrawn trilogy and the, um, the Jedi Academy Luke trilogy that Kevin J Anderson wrote. Like I read mm -hmm. those, multiple times. I still love that Thrawn trilogy, but I think part of that is the nostalgia of when I read it, you know, in junior high and high school. Um, but I totally agree with you. Like the, the Luke in those books was superhero Luke. Like he was mm -hmm. very, he was not as conflicted. And when he was, it wasn't the big struggle that we had gotten in return of the Jedi. And, you know, I think one of the biggest parts of that movie that I loved was, in those confrontational moments and when he snatches that lightsaber up and starts to go after Palpatine and Vader blocks it, like he had made a choice and he had made yep. the wrong choice and he was going mm -hmm. there and, you know, he steps back, but I love the idea that that Luke continued on a journey that had him wrestling his whole life because we all wrestle with difficult things and we all wrestle with, decisions and the things and where are we going to go and are we going to make the right choice and follow the right path mm. and that felt very relatable even as a kid yeah. seeing that and so i agree with you i'm an unabashed last jedi lover it's you know easily depending on the day it could be in my top three outside oh, of the original it. trilogy um but it's right there and what i love so much about it is 
Luke and those conversations that he has with Ray in that cave where he's talking about, this is where the Jedi went wrong. These were, these were the mistakes that they made. You know, it was hubris. It was all these things. And, you know, even the offhand, what am I supposed to do? Walk out and face down the first order with my laser sword, which of course the irony is that's what he does in his own Luke Skywalker kind of way. Mm-hmm. And that moment when it hit me and I realized what was going on, and I realized this is just a distraction so they can get away. Like that's the most Luke Skywalker thing that Luke Skywalker could do. And I just, I mean, that was as emotional a moment as I've had in the star Wars universe was when that all kind of those pieces lined up and it hit me in that moment, seeing it the first time I was just blown away because that is the Luke Skywalker that I've loved growing up, who was flawed, who was whiny, who was, you know, didn't get everything right but he still made his best effort to try. You know, when he leaves Dagobah and Empire, Yoda tells him, don't do it. Well, I have to. And we would all do the same thing. If our friends and family are hurting, even though we're told you're not supposed to, I dare you to stop me. It makes me think of, um, I I bring up the West Wing all the time because the West Wing is my all-time favorite TV show. And there's a part where um, they're trying to get President Bartlett to the bunker when there's like a drill or something and he's kind of, a, he's at a loss. He's like, you're going to force me to go. And his chief of staff, Leo tells him, he's like, you're going to go. He's like, and your feet might touch the floor once or twice on the way. Like <laughs> you're going, whether you like it or not, yeah. you know, if something happens to my people, you can try and stop me, but I'm still going to do what I feel like I have to do. And that was Luke. And that's who, you know, so I relate to that a lot. And like I said, I do love some of those EU stories but I totally see the perspective that you come from and saying, yeah, it's fun, but it wasn't really the story that I wanted to see a continued version of. Yep. Yep. Um, yeah. But I mean, like I love the passion that people have for the EU for sure. Mm-hmm. You know, I think, um, yeah. Oh, great. and there's a million books that I have not read. Like I've read a handful of them and I think my mm-hmm. issue, and I tend to be this way with shows and movies sometimes too, is when I find one that I do like, I'll just go back and read that one again, or I'll go rewatch this same show <laughs> over and over again, instead of going, wait, there's three other, I'm, it, I'm not a Pokemon guy. I don't have to catch them all. I just have to catch <laughs> the ones that I like, um, which I'm way too old for Pokemon, but I do know that's a thing with yeah. catching them all. So um, you're not too old for so, Pokemon. <laughs> well, this it's may fun. be my kid, my kids have <laughs> flirted in and out of it a little bit. Um, but yeah, so you grew up with it and then you went through, like we said, the dark time like everybody else did. Mm-hmm. And then we get the sequel. I mean, the prequel trilogy in 99 and going forward. Um, how was that for you? How was that coming into the the prequels? So uh, as I learned on Friday nights in the steam room, you also graduated high school in 1997. So Correct. we are the same there. Um, in 97, we knew we were getting the special mm-hmm. editions. And I've yes. mentioned this before, but I, I was a theater geek. Like I was in uh, stage mm-hmm. crew and all that. Right. So I was had zero hour. My first period are always in, in that. And uh, we had a, a, a blackboard and starting from the first day of school, I had a countdown for every day until we got to, uh, I don't know. Was it nine, I guess it was probably new hope back then. Yeah. So the hype was real. I was all excited. And then we got the announcement for the prequels and, um, I just, it was bonkers because you never thought you were going to get that. And I was into it. And I, <clears throat> I l- have always loved all of them. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, even today, although I'm a, an OT kid, I think I revisit the prequels more than I, more than I do even the, the, the originals. Okay. Um, yeah, I really like the prequel trilogy. I like the mm-hmm. questions that it asks. Um, I like that it doesn't give a lot of answers and it's just this, it builds this big world and, and now we get now we get two two trilogies based on that world and the repercussions from what happened in that one moment. I right. think is really fascinating. Um, so I've always been there. I I think fondly back to the Phantom Menace because it was the last time I got to wait like twelve hours in line to see a movie. And, <laughs> yep. Um, those were good times. That doesn't happen anymore. That those were good times. Yeah. I was in I was in college, of course, when they came out and when you know the news came that we were getting them and going forward, you know, looking for, you know, any bits of news that might potentially drop. And we were in a much earlier stage of the internet than of course we are now. Mm -hmm. Um, But I do remember being in my college dorm room when the trailer came out and it was available and you could download it. And I think it took like four hours to download that trailer. And I will, I watched that thing like a hawk because anything that your computer did, was going to potentially hang that up or pause it or make it start over. And it was like, don't touch this. Don't let it go to sleep. Turn off the auto, like the screensaver, like everything I could do. Because once you had it downloaded, you could play it as much as you wanted to back in those good old quick time, you know, movie player days. But getting that trailer and getting, you know, of course that shot of the doors opening and mall, you know, with the two lights, it just, mm-hmm. our minds were blown. And then yep. I will, I will freely admit when I saw the movies, they were not my favorite. Um, I'm mm-hmm. a little bit of a OT weird prequel tradition. I didn't, I never hated them. I just went, mm. yep. I, I just, it wasn't what I wanted. And I spent a little time making the jokes of, yeah, I don't recognize those, I, you know, whatever. But the more I age, and of course, especially, and this is something that I think is very relevant, the more that I've seen how awful fandom can be sometimes, the more I have an appreciation for, okay, so it may not have been for me. And my entry, again, the entry into Star Wars and what I remember showing those to my kids when they were smaller and they gravitated more to those than they did the original trilogy movies because they were a little bit shinier, a little bit more cartoony, a little bit more. And, um, and so I, I like to, I like what Joseph Scrimshaw says. I feel like I'm a reformed prequelist. Um, and I like the idea of going and, and again, also I'm a sucker for story and narrative. And so as we get the sequel trilogy and we get to see kind of the big arc and the big picture of it, I have a, even more of an appreciation for those prequel movies because of how they fit into this whole story and the things that we are still getting now with Bad Batch and Clone Wars mm-hmm. and some of these other things and getting to revisit things, whether it's Cad Bane or the Bounty Hunters or the dying aspects of the Clone War. I mean, Clone Wars, the series was not my thing when it was originally on and I've kind of had to go back and you know get into it. But that season seven of clone wars that came out last year, I was hook, line and sinker. And I was hook, line and sinker, especially for those Ahsoka Ahsoka episodes, because I love rebels so much. I have, I mean, if I can put anything behind those first four movies, rebels fits right in there before all the other movies. Like I love rebels so much. And that's where I came to love Ahsoka. And so to go back and watch her journey and be annoyed by her at the beginning and see by the time she's reached that maturity, leaves the Jedi order because of what they did. Like 
that's real growth. And that's something that I think we've seen with the Clone Wars into Bad Batch now. And I had this conversation, I think, with Pete last week on the Twitter Spaces conversation. Clone Wars into Bad Batch has grown up with a lot of its audience. Like Mm -hmm. when it started in 2012, 2013, whenever that was, to what we're getting now, like it is grittier. It is more grown up, the stories and everything. But like the primary audience would have been younger at that time. And so I'm fascinated by those evolutions. And again, that gives me appreciation for the prequel trilogy because of where those, where that all fits into all the other things that I love so much. Yep. Yeah. I'm with you. I mean, I clone wars, that was, that was the toughest pill for me to swallow. Clone wars is above anything. My favorite star Wars. I've said this many, many times, and I fully believe that it is the foundation that all of star Wars sits on now. Um, Mm -hmm. I I love the Clone Wars. I love what it brought. Um, and I have to say, like, I was never big on social media or anything before we had a podcast. So I didn't. Sure. I was very much in my own little Star Wars bubble. So I didn't know, <laughs> like, everything that people didn't like. Thank God I didn't know people hated Ahsoka because I probably would have become yeah. that um, <laughs> not nice fan trying to defend my girl. Um, but uh, I-, I think... I love how Clone Wars has led into the Bad Batch because I think the Bad Batch is probably the most rock solid start to any Star Wars ever. Like that show has just mm-hmm. like kicked off on all high gears and is just getting better and better. And I'm a big fan of Rebels too. And to know how Star Wars animation works and how we're just going to get bigger and bigger and bigger, I can't even imagine where we're going to go. Like, I'm, yeah, it's really exciting. And I think too, and especially with the Bad Batch talking about it growing up with audiences growing in, you know, and I'm older than what the Clone Wars audiences would have been initially, mm-hmm. you know, kind of the original target, you know, not that it wasn't yep. for me, but, um, but as a parent, and I think you can connect with this too, the parental themes in what I often call the dad batch is phenomenal. Like in this episode, yep. this last week, when Bane's trying to get Omega back and right before he breaks that communicator, it's not on screen, but I had the captions on and she says, Hunter, I need you and screams that that's that. Like if I'm trapped and my kid, if I were to know my kids were somewhere and I couldn't get to them to help like crushing my soul, like those moments mm-hmm. of that. And then by the end, you know, when they're having that conversation and he promises her, she never has to go back. Like it got real dusty up in there. A couple of these episodes talking about those those relationships, because again, it's a kid's story and it's fun on one level, but like it's speaking directly to me as a mm-hmm. father and as a parent. And that's so powerful. And that's what I love about storytelling. Yep. Yeah. You know, I did not like the bad batch in the clone wars. Like I right, was, same. we tried, yep. we tried rewatching them for the podcast and I stopped because I was getting too negative and I was like, I don't want to be like mm-hmm. that. So yeah, I, I'm I mean, exactly with you. I did. Yeah, I'm, I was excited because I love I I have I have full faith in Dave Filoni. Um, but then that show came out and it just proved me completely wrong. And I I can't help but watch that show as a queer per- person and feel mm-hmm. that it is a very queer coded show. Um, sure. We talk about that a lot on the podcast, especially the live stream that. Mm-hmm. As a group of people who were already minorities 
from everybody right. else. They were treated differently their whole existence. And as a as a queer person, I oftentimes think about one of the the hard things, at least for me, is we look like everybody. You know, we look right. like the rest of our family. We look like the rest of society. And so, and then sometimes, suddenly, people find out that you're queer, and they treat you very differently. Right. And um, sometimes I think it's a benefit and sometimes it's really, really hard, but the bad batch is going through that. They weren't accepted by their own kind, by their mm -hmm. own species or whatever, yeah. however you want to phrase it, you know? And then, but then they were needed by the government. Right. And then they were paraded about sometimes by these other people. And now the government is telling them, and the government is telling the entire galaxy who they are. And as a queer person, our government has told mm -hmm. us who we are for so long. And sure. it's just really, really relatable. And to see these people finally say enough is enough and start defining who they want to be is um, it's really relatable to me mm -hmm. in that specific uh, perspective. And then you bring in Omega. <laughs> and as a father to three kids from the foster system who've adopted all of my boys, like that scene, this mm -hmm. last one, spoiler alert, when he's yeah. talking to Omega about you know, I'll never, you'll never have to go back there. Like I have had to have that conversation <laughs> mm -hmm. very specifically. If you're not going to go back to these homes that did not treat you well. Right. And to see her, the weight that is lifted off her shoulders. Um, mm -hmm. It's, I, I, I feel this way. We'll get into it. I'm sure when we get into our yeah. things later with Din and Grogu, but I, I think someone in that writer's room has to have had to have been a foster parent because there's just Absolutely. stuff like, well, and I know. love, and it was such a little thing, but he said it twice. And mm -hmm. that to me stood out. Like he said it and she said, really? And he, he didn't say yes. He repeated, you'll never have to go back there. Mm -hmm. And I've, I've been there with my kids when they're scared of something, not in a yeah. adoption and foster situation yeah. because my situation is different, but as a parent, I've had moments of needing to reassure my kids and make sure they understand whether it's not, it late at night and I can't sleep because I heard a noise or, you know, I've got some teenagers and we, you know, circle into, I can't sleep. Why? Cause I'm thinking about dying. You know, we have those very real moments that happen to all of us growing up. And so the need to be able to, I'll do anything I can to assure my child you're safe. I wouldn't let anything happen to you. And that's what Hunter does for Omega in those scenes at the end. And I loved, mm -hmm. I loved the choice that when she said, really, he didn't just say yes. He repeated the phrase, you'll never have to go back there. Like that felt very intentional and felt like something that a parent would do and say to their yeah. child. Yeah. Um, and so, and I yeah. love in your perspective, and this is a great way to transition into talking about your podcast and talking about your show. Yeah. Um, that's so powerful to hear you talk about Bad Batch in that way and to relate to it as a queer person, because I've thought about it in some of those ways along the line, but not from mm -hmm. that perspective. And that's so powerful yeah. to me to hear you say that and to hear you see a reflection in that show that not a lot of other people may see because that's yeah. important. And it's important that there is recognition. We talk a lot about, you know, inclusion. We talk a lot about, um, you know, these things that are very important. And as somebody who wants to be 
an ally for my queer brothers and sisters and wants to be, I mean, my best friend in the world. I want to be there for him. I want to be the person that he needs. I want to be the person, but I'm not, I, you know, I, I'm a very boring, generic, straight white dude. <laughs> and so it's not something I know. And so to be able to listen to a podcast like yours, that's so helpful to me because I get to hear a genuine perspective and the steam room. I love tuning into the steam room on Friday nights because that's, Man. you know, I'm the minority there. And I love that mm -hmm. because I want to sit and listen. I want to sit and hear things that I would have never considered because yeah. it's not my world. And that's important to me. So tell us about pink milk. Tell us about, and I love, I love because as I talked about in the intro to our show, um, our mom CU podcast with my wife watching Marvel movies yeah. is kind of like you and Tom when it comes to star yeah. Wars. But I think Tom's probably closer to star Wars than my wife is yeah. to Marvel. Um, but tell us about pink milk. Tell us about the shows that you guys do. So when we first started, uh, so Tom, uh, our husband and husband episode, which is like how it all started. was for us super fans and those forced to listen to us. So <laughs> we kind of thought that was going to be the, oh, I'm really blurry. Uh, we thought that was going to be the, um, like the thing that kind of stuck, right? Sure. Uh, because let's face it, everybody likes Star Wars. Like everybody yes. likes it. <laughs> Most people are not us. So we That's were right. like, I was like, there has to be, I have not heard a podcast that a casual fan could really listen to. Not mm -hmm. really. They, we get too in the weeds. That's right. um, and so as, like, as, hey, as think... our friend Pete likes to call us, we're the sweaty nerds. <laughs> exactly. Yes. And it's great. And it's wonderful. And it's a lot of fun. But I was yeah. like, you know, I feel like there's got to be people out there who are kind of a casual fan, but still want to listen to this. So that was the intention. That is not what it turned into. And no one, could, everyone could care less about that thing. But what started to catch on was that were husbands. That was like this first thing that came on. And I, I'm just so incredibly grateful that people listen because I am, mm -hmm. you know, I, at 42, I never thought that there would have been a lot of people who are not queer that wanted to listen to a bunch of queer people talk. And we sure. get very gay on our show. Like <laughs> we don't Absolutely. hold anything back. Like it's just, it's still to this day is a little like overwhelming and I'm very grateful. Um, but what I think started to catch on was Tom and I started talking about our kids and mm -hmm. we, we've adopted three boys through the foster system. We only had two when the podcast started and then one right. came. Um, I think we had, we had been doing a few practice things and our, our middle slot, our middle child, who's the last one in the house, Eli showed up on the door like two days before we were going to record our very first episode. So it was oh, like, wow. it was, um, and it's, it was just inherent. It was going to come mm -hmm. up. And so much about Star Wars is about found family anyways. Without and um, I think we were lucky that I, people reached out early on and said that they liked those kinds of things. And it felt very natural to talk about it. And then I realized, you know, part of what I wanted to start it with was that I didn't know at the time of any other queer Star Wars podcast. They were out there. Mm -hmm. I just didn't sure. know what they were. Um. And but then to be able to talk about found family, which is so inherent to Star Wars, from a literal found family that has was is growing, and right. we've adopted boys while it was going on, <laughs> and all of these things just felt it's happening really, literally right in front of you. Yeah, 
it felt really important because mm -hmm. I'm a very, very big advocate for foster kids, obviously. Um, I think on TV, on the radio, on the news, I don't think foster kids are portrayed very well. Um, oftentimes, you know, um, which is sad. So I wanted to mm -hmm. show a family like ours and as gay yep. people that you don't yep. see a lot of families like us. Um, Absolutely. You know? So that just kind of became how what the podcast became about. Like we just got a review that says they don't always talk about Star Wars, but they always shoot for the stars. And <laughs> that's right. We don't talk about Star Wars all the time. Um, so, anyways, we were doing that, and then fast forward to last Pride Month or last year in Pride mm -hmm. was our first Pride Month uh, talk, and I was speaking. Who is now my friend Mark Marquis, who you had on your yes. show what mm -hmm. a month ago, maybe something? Oh, um, Mark was er super early on, so yeah, it's been a little bit. Um, a fellow we Alabamian, Mark Marquis. Yep. Nope. And we were talking and I was like halfway through our conversation and I realized I had never had a conversation with another queer person about Star Wars. And it was just this thing. We were talking about Ahsoka and my connection to Ahsoka that I thought was wholly unique was not really that wholly unique <laughs> because mm -hmm. he was feeling something. I was like, oh, there's like something here. And then so in August, we did um, a roundtable to talk about The Mandalorian, which I think is also a very incredibly queer-coded show, sure. uh, which we will get to. And yes. so we got together, there was like 14 people by the end of these like six episodes to all talk about The Mandalorian specifically as queer people. And what came out of that was something that there is no way in the world I ever would have anticipated, but it became this very emotionally healing talks for a lot of us. We all got to talk about things that we'd never really get to talk about. And mm -hmm. it was all through the filter of Star Wars. And after those things, our pink milk was just never the same because I That's think, right. I think everything kind of clicked. There was all, all the ingredients and finally like fell together. And then it was soon after that, that I started um, the live streams because I was like mm -hmm. telling Tom who I love dearly, like he's the greatest person I know, but I'm like, I can't have these kinds of conversations with <laughs> you. Like it can't happen. And I can't go back anymore either because right. I, I have never been seen like that. I've never had every part of my being understood by another group of people that were, so it was, mm -hmm. it was great. And then we started a live stream and um, with Mark and Emma, who I met during those. And now we nice. have that and you brought up the steam room. How all these people came together, I don't know, but they're like the kindest group of people in the entire world. They're a lot of fun. Everyone sh really shares their stories and their perspectives. They get very thirsty for certain characters. And um, <laughs> it's been really great. I'm just, I'm really grateful. I know I didn't, you know, I, I think we're pretty successful. As no, I, I think and you I, absolutely are. And, and I, I want to say, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I just, I didn't anticipate it. And I'm just like, sure. I'm always grateful and I'm really grateful that a large portion of our audience are, are straight people. Mm -hmm. And the fact that they want to listen to us is still is something that I'm finally coming to terms with, I think, but sure. I'm just, I'm just, it's, it's really, really wonderful. And, it, and now we get these little love letters to our kids, you know, that mm -hmm. we're going to have forever, which is great. That's fantastic. Awesome. And I think, Honestly, what shows through and certainly what shows through for me is, like you said, you're going to be you. The genuine mm -hmm. nature of who you are, of who Mark and Emma are on a Friday night. And when y'all have guests on, you had be on this past Friday night, you know, 
the genuine unvarnished like yeah i'm glad straight people are here but i'm not sugarcoating anything because our straight mm-hmm. friends are like i'm gonna be me <laughs> that's what i show up for when i listen to your show when i watch you know the steam room because you shouldn't have to tamp down who you are for me mm-hmm. you know y'all talked a good bit friday night about heteronormity and you know the the aspects of that i live in the deep south and so not only do we have those things but we have racism and we have mm-hmm a lot of confrontation with things like white privilege and a lot of these other things that we're seeing across the country, but I live in Alabama. I live in Montgomery, Alabama. Some things happened here in the sixties that people have heard about and to tune into you guys' show. And I think to say the, you know, we're kind of successful and that feels good. You're successful because of how genuine you are. I truly believe that. I truly believe that your show comes from your heart and it comes from the hearts of the guests you have and, you know, Mark and Emma and Tom, like that's what makes your show so good is you are you, you're not going to apologize for it because you shouldn't have to, you're not expected to. And I love the family stuff. And I love what you talked about. You know, the idea of star Wars being found family has always been there, but I haven't paid attention to that until the Mm -hmm. last several years where it became more apparent as we got things like rebels, as we get things like Mandalorian, which we're going to get to. So like, it's always been found family, Han and Leia and Luke and Chewie, you know, all the things that we got. But that's the power of your story is that you do have a found family. Your found family is who you are, whether it's your kids and your husband or whether it's the Star Wars community that you are a part of. That's as as vital a part of the Star Wars community as my part of the Star Wars community, but it's smaller and needs the ability to be recognized as, Hey, we love star Wars too. And I think that's so important. And you're able to carry those messages. The shows that you have done this month, uh, the one last week with Luke, Oh my gosh, like the stuff that he talked about with adoption, addiction, like those are powerful human stories, whether, you know, whether there's queerness involved or not, it's a powerful human story. And you're telling those stories and the queerness is just a part of it. And those are stories that more people need to hear because like you said, you're there. And most of the time people are just like, Oh, there's another dude, but they don't know the depths of how amazing you are. Your story is your family is. And so I love that pink milk gets the chance to tell those stories. I think that's really, really important. And that's another reason why I was so honored that you were able to come on not only just to be on the show period, but to be able to be on during pride month because you know, there's a lot going on and I'm sure pride month for you has different, you know, meanings and feelings and things as you know, for me, I want the opportunity. I don't want it to be a fake show. I don't want people to be like, Oh, he wore a rainbow thing one time. Like I want people to know that I'm an ally. I want people to know that I love them and support them no matter who they are. But when June is over, I don't want it to stop. Like, you know, my wife bought a doormat for our house the other day that says rainbow and it says all are welcome with a heart on it. And I was like, that's fantastic. It's going to stay there when July gets here and it's going to be there in December because that's who we are. And that's not to make it about me, but that's to say your story is important and more people, I want more people to hear your story. And so I'm thankful that you have the show that you have and I'm thankful it has the following it has because it is worthy of being heard and seen and watched. Thank you. Yeah. You know, I just, I'm really, I love where Star Wars podcasts are going this last few years too. Like 
I love all the news and all that. We tried it for a hot minute with the live stream. <laughs> it's just not who we are. Like yeah. it just doesn't work. We're really we. I love Star Wars because I'm not particularly religious. I never sure. had a church to go to. I never felt comfortable there. Mm -hmm. And it was actually my husband who is very religious. He is an Irish Catholic through and through. Nice. And he okay. was the one who told me early on that, and in the most respectful way that I am just grateful for him yeah. to say this. He's like, but you look at Star Wars like I do when I go to church. Mm -hmm. And he's like, you found so much in it that you live your life by and you know he's like i love you and you're a good person and if these are this is where you went to learn those lessons you know good on you um and so i've always been really concerned with that and that was one thing that i definitely i did at the beginning of the show i wanted to talk about the human experience and our intersection with queerness and the human experience not exclusively only queerness sure but that's the only perspective i can share about but like and how it inter interacts with Star Wars. Because I think that at the end of the day, we can all love the pew pew pews. We can love all the <laughs> toys that we have behind us, but those are not the things that get any of us to come back to. It's right. all of these things underneath that are mm -hmm. hard to talk about. It's really Correct. hard. When I have a guest come on and they can open up like Luke did, mm -hmm. I am so beyond appreciative because Laura knows I have shared some very big, very hard, very personal stories and it is not easy to put it out there. Um, right. So when people do, I'm just, it's, I'm really honored, but I think that is what ties us all together as Star Wars fans. And I'm, mm -hmm. I'm glad to hear more podcasts doing those kinds of things. In, in Absolutely. Well, I, I love what you guys do and I'm a huge, huge pink milk fan. So I, I will shout, shout pink milk from the mountaintops every chance <laughs> I get. And, um, and, and I want no, we, to use this as an opportunity to kind of transition into our top seven list because what we are doing tonight, we've done this a couple of times. And I said this in, to you in the email when we were mm -hmm. kind of figuring out what we wanted to talk about tonight. Um, we have done some kind of couples and pairing. In fact, when Mark was on, it was Valentine's Day and we did Star Wars couples. Um, and then I had um, Amy Rickow on when she had the I Love You, I Know book that came out. And so she kind of talked about couples and pairings a little bit. Yep. But one of the things, kind of like everybody having a different doorway into Star Wars, everybody can have a different list of pairings. So, like, this list really doesn't get old because we've done it before. Mm -hmm. And so what I did, though, is I renamed, not renamed it, I named it, um, we're going to do your top seven dynamic oh. duos. We're going to borrow from, like, Adam West, 60s Batman. <laughs> um because who who knows that Adam West and Burt Ward haven't gotten any run in a long time. So we, we maybe maybe we'll get them trending on Twitter just because of this. Star Wars hashtag Star Wars Adam West. I want to see that somewhere tomorrow. Um, but we're going to go through your top seven Star Wars dynamic duos. And what I love about this is having seen the list because you sent it to me ahead of time. It covers such a wide range of personal relationships, friendships, mentorships, adverse, you know, everything is on the table and it goes back to what we've kind of hit on throughout this so far, which is the grittiness and realness of life, whether it's our messy lives, being parents, having jobs, trying to be grown ups, versus playing video games when our spouses are out of town, you know, that kind of stuff or the grittiness of, the Star Wars community and the grittiness of knowing there's real relationships in there. Like you said, the laser guns are fun. The ships are cool, 
But what keeps me coming back to Star Wars is the story and the relationships. Those are the things that draw me in, like the tractor beam on Leia's Tantive Four <laughs> at the beginning of Star Wars in 1977. That's what yep. draws me in. So that's why this list really is kind of evergreen. And I was glad to do it when you sent me that. So we're going to jump into your number seven. Um, and I'm going to get this going here. Your number seven is Finn and Poe. Mm-hmm. Talk to us about Finn and Poe, because obviously this has been a very popular ship over the last couple of yes. years um, for understandable yeah. reasons. But give us Brian's take on Finn and Poe. So my take on Finn and Poe has kind of evolved over time. Like now, before before the Rise of Skywalker happened, I didn't want them to end up together mm-hmm. at all. I wanted Poe to be into Finn and Finn to maybe maybe give it a shot, but not be into it. Sure. Because I think I wanted to see like a a a relationship where a guy had a crush on another guy who happened to be straight and they were able to move on and still be friends because Mm -hmm. I don't think that story happens a lot. Um, And I thought that would have been really interesting. However, as times changed and especially the marketing of the rise of Skywalker, they were playing them up to be a couple so much. Right. And then we get the, the we get the rise of Skywalker, and those two actors were together. I don't care what Disney said. I don't care what J.J. Abrams and Chris Terrio wrote on the paper. Those two <laughs> actors acted as if they were a couple, and nothing in the movie really contradicts that. Right? Really? Not really. You know, I feel bad for Zori Bliss because I feel like Zori Bliss was a cool character, but I feel that she was kind of a homophobic insert to quiet down any rumors of what may or may not be going on. And right. I think it's unfair to to the character because mm-hmm. she was really great. Um, and then we got the the I, what I call the shut up kiss at the end, which is just insulting. <laughs> I was I was more of a fan of the gay porgs in the Last Jedi that didn't even get any attention. <laughs> the two that were trying to say see look we really care about you right we, yeah we look at look at this thing we did for you yeah um but let me look at them they're just so yeah. happy that like they're you know i i wouldn't want that yes. relationship i don't have that kind of a bickering relationship with my husband i know a lot of people do <laughs> um but they were full on a couple and mm-hmm. i i think they've become important to me because it was a moment that the characters spoke louder than the writers and the characters were going to do what the characters are going to do. And, and it didn't matter what the story was saying. I think it's great. And and I, and I love in this particular scene that's on the screen, the, the gif, gif, depending on how you, you know, break that down. (laughs) Um, we, We include all versions of how you say it here. Um, when, um, Oscar Isaac is running towards him. That's right. We are inclusive of all (laughs) versions of saying gif and gif. Um, as Oscar Isaac is running towards Finn, just the way he says buddy, like he's so mm-hmm. truly genuinely excited to see Finn. Like he couldn't believe it, you know, and of course the back in my jacket, you know, no, keep it. It looks good on you. Uh-huh. Like all of the little, and I think you're exactly right. I love, I never thought about it that way, but like the actors were there for it and they were like, we're going to play it yep. we're going to play it up. And they did have that kind of, bickery adversarial you know but like all out of love the little you know so you're this no you're that and you know it just Mm -hmm. it was so great and i'm 
fully on board for for Finpo. Yes, Jerry. I'm sorry. I meant Finpo. Um, <laughs> give them their their proper ship name. Um, or Storm Pilot. Right, There's Storm Pilot people out there. <laughs> Storm Pilot. There you go. Storm Pilot. Um, all right. So number six. This is another great one and goes this takes us in a little bit of a different direction. We have Obi Wan and Maul, and I. I can't think of Obi-Wan and Maul without thinking about this picture that I have on the screen, which is from their confrontation in Rebels. That episode of Rebels may be the best episode in the entire series for this moment alone. But like, I, I you know, I could write a novel about Obi-Wan and Maul, but please tell us your thoughts. Yeah. So I, the thing I love about well maul i think he had no business being as wonderful of a character as he is um <laughs> because he was really amazing in the phantom menace but he had served his purpose he did what needed to be done um and then we get the return in clone wars which again yes. i was like really okay well, whatever <laughs> spider legs what are you talking about <laughs> and then and then look who we have now this like amazing shakespearean character and i think mm -hmm. what i love about the relationship between Obi-Wan and Maul is when I watch them, I feel Maul is so representative of Obi-Wan's emotional state. Um, I think there are two characters on, on either side of the same coin. And I just, I love that they are both kind of after the same things. Um, they go about it very, very differently. But what Maul does physically, I feel Obi-Wan has done emotionally a lot of times. Yes. Um, no, I love that. And and I know there's a lot of Obi-Wan. I love Obi-Wan too. But um, the, the moment when Maul kills Satine is mm -hmm. a really big deal, obviously. And I feel like Obi-Wan kind of did that to her a long time ago emotionally. And it's what the right. Jedi did to the entire... <laughs> to everyone. To, to everyone. And they just emotionally killed themselves. And now Maul just physically killed her. Um, mm -hmm. And it really drove the point home to Obi-Wan what he did do the entire time. Um, and so I kind of love that. I love this pair for that reason. Absolutely. Well, And I think what you hit on is they're two sides of the same coin. Like you have this idea that, you know, I love, and especially like you said, as Maul gets more fleshed out through rebels, what we get mm -hmm. in clone Wars season seven, you know, I love when Ahsoka shows up in season seven and he's so disappointed. I was expecting Kenobi. Like he is purely driven by his rage and seek for revenge with Obi-Wan. Like yep. that's all that he sees. That's it. And Obi-Wan, like you said, is kind of the defensive side of that. He lost Satine to Maul, but there's also like, like, you know, we get the dyad in Rise of Skywalker, which I love as a concept and an idea. Maul is spin moves, jumps, double-sided lightsaber. But what we see in this fight from the Twin Sons episode of Rebels is Obi-Wan is efficiency. Obi-Wan is three shots and it's over with. Like, that they are the yin and the yang to each other in this yep. universe. And it creates such a powerful story because their motivations are connected to one another in very different ways. 
but you have one that's super extra and one that's like, I'm just going to get this done and be over with. Like, you know, in one sense, this is Indiana Jones shooting the sword guy in Raiders. You know, I, I don't have time for all this. Let's go, you know, moving along. Yeah. Um, but I love the arc that that creates and that creates such great, like you said, Shakespearean story is mm-hmm. to have these two opposites being the only force that can contend with one another. And I just love that we get that in a story um, in these stories in particular. Uh, So as we go from this, then we transition into another kind of dynamic duo. We have Luke and Leia at number five. Mm -hmm. I mean, well, one, how can you not? (laughs) That's right. I mean, (laughs) it's Star Wars for crying out loud. (laughs) Um, I think... I've grown to, well, I've, again, like I said at the beginning, I was adopted by my father when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. And now I'm a father to adopted kids, so it's different. And I look at these two characters who are two very different people because I feel one was raised by a family the correct way and one was raised by a family in the incorrect way. Um, which is funny, I, I am not a big fan of Owen never have been. I don't think mm-hmm. he, I don't think he treats Luke very well. Right. Um, and I tweeted out on father's day, like a father's day question, basically. <laughs> and I could not believe how many people love uncle Owen. And I'm like, wow, we do not see the same person. I mean, no. good on you. Like no. I'm not here to, you know, I'm not right and you're wrong, but, uh, um, uh, Owen never allowed Luke to be who he was at all. Like right. he was so afraid of who he might become. Honestly, I loved you and Jerry were talking about this when you're on the show about letting your children be who they are and who they, right. who they, who, who they become as they grow older. And that was something that, that Owen was never able to do. Um, fear led him down there and unwillingness to be a parent brought him there. Um, you know, I have had a few of my boys have come from other homes, and I will sorry, I will not get emotional on somebody else's show. But <laughs> you're welcome. To. I have had I have had my boys have come from homes who said they were going to adopt them. They had the hunter moment of saying, "You're never going to go right. anywhere else," and then something happens, and mm-hmm. they don't keep them. And right. that is how two of them came under very emergency moments, and. I don't want to ever point the blame and say, you know, this is a horrible things or whatever, you know, I don't know sure. what went on beforehand, but I know who my children are and some of the things right. I just don't believe it. Um, and I don't think Owen ever respected the fact that this kid didn't know where he came from and there was trauma attached to that and he never respected it. And I think, yes, you know, it's hard. It's hard to raise. Actually, it's not hard. It, I can perceive how it's difficult to raise children that did not, come from you um, because they have a history and those histories inform us. And it's one of the things I'm the most grateful for as a parent is my children came with a story before. So they got to share part of themselves with me. It's not just me putting it all on them. um, Absolutely. You know, or again, that's so powerful. But yeah. So then we have, then we have Leia who was raised perfectly because she's amazing. (laughs) 
Yeah. And it, and if we could have made this list, just Carrie Fisher and Carrie Fisher, that would have been awesome in and of itself. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think that's such an, another, we talked about this with Maul and Obi-Wan, like, you know, two sides of the same coin. We get the same thing with Luke and Leia and J Jerry said it, uh, Jerry said it in his comment. Yep. He said, Owen was kind of a dick to be perfectly honest as a kid watching star Wars. While I may not have known that exact phrase, that's how I felt watching them at the breakfast table when uh, uncle Owen is giving Luke crap about what he wants to do. And yep. the fact that he has a dream and a desire and a whatever, and he's so dismissive and with, you know, withholding uh, even, you know, like it just, you know, it, and it could have been a product of the time and the writing and, yep. you know, all that stuff. I understand that. But watching that, I was like, mm. and I'm lucky because I didn't have those parents. I had parents who loved us. Yep. You know, my parents have been married for 43, 46 years now. Like, you know, I'm, I'm not in some of those difficult situations that other people had. But I was at a stage where I recognized, ooh, I don't like him. And so I'm with you. I, my, my vote on yep. the Owen thing is, yeah, Owen wasn't a good dad. Owen didn't do Luke any favors. He was there. Uh -huh. I mean, he showed yeah. up. I guess he sure. didn't have to take him. <laughs> That's right. But that was kind of very right. minimum. <laughs> no, it, it's, we'll, we'll give Joel Edgerton that part. He showed up and took him exactly. after that. Yeah. And then he got old and it became somebody else's problem. Um, well, I love that. So let's keep going. Let's get into number four. Um, and we've got number four. This is such another great one. Ah. Kanan and Ezra. I love Kanan and Ezra. And of course, I have a an un unabashed love for rebels and I'm not going to spend all of your time talking about my love for rebels, oh. but tell us your feelings about Kane and Ezra and why this is your number four. So, I mean, I could listen to you gush on rebels all day long. I think it's great. Um, rebels. I have grown to love more and more the longer I'm away from it. Um, mm -hmm. Kanan and Ezra. So we've been pretty open on the show that, mostly Emma and myself, I'm not going to put Mark in this, but Emma and myself do not exactly have a good relationship with the Jedi. Um, right. I don't like them. I like what they think they are, but I don't like what they actually are. And so it's put a very, I don't like, you know, and it's controversial. I know I have mm -hmm. plenty of listeners who, uh, who <laughs> give me grief <laughs> about it. Um, but Kanan and Ezra together very much are, 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 reaffirming the good of the Jedi and what the Jedi could be, because I think right. these two are just perfect. They, mm -hmm. they allow each other to be themselves. They allow each other to go through their darker moments when they need to, because we all have to be able to work through those darker moments. Um, and they still see each other and they believe in each other enough to know that they will not go down too far. And so they, right. they let each other be who they are. Um, and, Rebels, again, has probably taken on new meaning to me because I think Kanan and Hera are just like these standout parents. And talk about Absolutely. nothing speaks to found family more than than Star Wars Rebels. Correct. And Kanan and Hera are such amazing and inspirational parents because they have these three kids who come from very different backgrounds they never try to take away those backgrounds. They use those different backgrounds and different set of circumstances and different histories to build one another up to be even better. It isn't, you're, we're all here together now, and now we're the ghost crew. The ghost crew is made up of all of these different stories, and I think it's yes. really, really beautiful. Um, 
and it's really inspirational. And I think I do get emotional thinking about this because <laughs> I, when Star Wars Rebels first came out in what was that 2013, I think maybe 2014, yeah. I legally did not have the right to get married. And mm -hmm. around that time I had to tell my husband that I'm like, I, we just, I need to let this go. Cause all I had ever wanted to be was a parent, but it was just not going to happen. We had, sure. I wasn't, I was not okay to have like a surrogate mother. We had all those options presented to us, but I just right. didn't feel that was appropriate. I believe that part of why homosexuality is out there is because we are a species that lives together and there are people out there who need someone else to help them. So it's always mm -hmm. been how I, how I felt. That was my role. Right. That is why I am here is to have my three boys. Um, Absolutely. And so when the show was out, that reality, it wasn't even reality. It was so far from anything that it could possibly ever have. I really just had to stop dreaming about it because it was getting me in very dark places. Um, and then fast forward, you know, 2015, all of a sudden we can get married. And I'm like, well, well I, <laughs> I was not <laughs> anticipating this, but this is great. Um, and then a few years later, you know, here in Arizona, our governor was like, if, if, Gay, if we can have gay marriage legalized, then you can no longer discriminate against gay couples uh, to adopt children because that's what they used to do. They It was just right. knock you out. Um, and it still happens when we were going through, they still said no, uh, it's not supposed to, but that's what happens. But anyways, now we have these three amazing boys and I look back and I have watched Rebels since and I look at the lessons that Kanan and Hera taught me to be a better parent. And... Um, I'm just really, really grateful for that because I've, Absolutely. I say this a lot. Star Wars has always been there for me, even when I didn't know it yet, but it's mm -hmm. always there. It is, it is, I love it. I, it's just, yeah, it's everything. And those two characters are everything. And that family is like what I hope my family looks like when someone looks at us from the outside. And I hope they think we live in the ghost because I just think <laughs> they're perfect. Um, I, I love that so much. And, and I think it really is, um, and there's so much about Rebels. And like I said, I could go on and on about Rebels, and that needs to just be a separate show at some point. Um, I've got twins. They're 13-year-old twins. And Harper, my oldest, she's the one that has always loved Star Wars. And Lily, her sister, has recently kind of taken an interest. And But Lily's like, she's a character person. Like, she wants somebody to glam on to, be obsessed with, learn about, like, you know, she's not here for the big blowups and explosions and spaceships. Mm -hmm. She's characters and whatever. And so we decided we'll start Rebels with her. And so Harper had seen Rebels. I've seen Rebels. And so we started it over. And the thing that stood out to me from that very first pilot episode was the thing that I didn't notice in those first times is that Kanan and Hera have always been together from the time the show mm -hmm. started. In the very first episode, she said, come on, love, you know, such and such and such and such. And like, I live in the South. People call each other love and honey and baby and sugar all the time. And so it didn't ping the first few times that I saw it. But of course, seeing the ending, knowing what I knew and thinking more about this idea of their family, it was one of those uh, and watching their relationship. And I love that they have, like you said, they're the best star Wars parents, but they have a very real relationship. They have the kind of relationship that I have with my wife when you know, Kanan has this great plan and he's going to do something. And she goes, you really think that's going to work? Like, you know, it's very real. It's very down to earth, yeah. which I love. But the thing that I wanted to highlight, and it goes back to what you said about your relationship with the Jedi. And it goes back to something that Jerry said 
Jerry said in the comments, the Jedi as an ideal is great, not so much yep. in the execution. And for me, and we talked about faith at the beginning, you talked about Tom having his faith, you not having really a faith of your own. As somebody who does have a Christian faith, I worked in the Christian church for 20 years almost in youth ministry um, before transitioning out. My feelings about the Jedi are a lot of the feelings that I have about the Christian church, especially in America. Mm -hmm. in, in theory, it's great. In execution, the Christian church has failed dramatically, whether it comes to queer people, races, you know, it, women, like all the things that the church has done over the years has done more harm than help. And so the story of God and the story of Jesus gets lost because of the shitty things that Christians have done for hundreds of years. And that's something that people who claim a Christian faith have to own and have to figure out ways to go. Yeah, I'm really sorry about that. That's not who we really are. And that's where the Jedi were. And that's where Luke was. And that's where, you know, we talk about less Jedi and the things that Luke's saying. That's Luke going, yeah, it should have been good, but they were totally blinded. They lost their way. And so I love that you bring that up. And it's mm -hmm. kind of been a thread in different points of this conversation tonight. Canaan yeah. and Ezra are what the Jedi, Ahsoka. That's what I love so much about Ahsoka. Ahsoka is what the Jedi were intended to be. Her choice to walk away was because she said, this isn't right. And I know more people who still have their faith in God, but walked away from the church because the church is what was hurting Christianity and the God, you know, the reputation that God had and the ability for people to connect on that spiritual level. And um, it, it's so prevalent. And, and again, George Lucas wrote these stories because of these reasons, like he knew what he was doing. And it's continued to evolve and mirror our society all these 40 yep. and 42 years later. And again, I think that's the power in a good narrative and the power in a good story. And so those things connect and resonate with me as well. So the way you said that talking about the Jedi stands out for those same reasons. Yeah. You know, I love, it's one of the, my gifts that my husband brought me, I think, because like I said, I am not religious, but because I'm queer religion has had a huge impact on my life even no though doubt. I would never step, you know, it's, I didn't subscribe to it, but other people put it on me or looked right. at me through only those lenses. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think for a long time, I was really kind of angry. I didn't under, I did not understand how a queer person could be religious. It was just something I'm like, I don't, I don't get it. But you know, my husband has taught me a lot speaking very much to the things you just said. And yep. I am very grateful to have been able to get to this place where I don't, you know, I don't have it but I can understand how and why other people do, you know, Absolutely. Um, Tom just lost his, lost his mother this year and it's mm. very, very hard sure. And to see him have his rosary beads and his Bible and all of those, you know, the things that he needed. It was this mm -hmm. moment of, I, I hope when I met with those things someday that my faith and what I have holds me, helps me the same way that helped him because it was the Absolutely. first time ever in my life that I saw those tools and how they could actually be used. For mm -hmm. good. I only right. ever saw the tools being used for bad. Um, Absolutely. Uh, yeah, it was great. There, was there's really a, great. a story, and um, I don't want to drag it out too long because I don't want to drag us on too far. Mm. Uh, there's an author, Donald Miller, that I read years ago, and he has kind of gone some different routes. But one of the early stories that he wrote in one of his books that I loved so much is he went to Reed College in Portland, Oregon, which was at the time that he went considered to be the most liberal college in America. 
Um, they had all these, you know, kind of hedon, hedonistically themed, you know, festivals and different different things that are going on. And he tells a story because he grew up in Texas. He grew up, you know, Southern Baptist and all these things. But part of his story was that realization that the church had hurt so many people and that all these different things had happened. And so at one of these big like hedonistic festivals that they had at their college, they set up a, um, he set up a reverse um, confessional booth and he invited all these people to come in that were queer, you know, alcoholics, drug addicts, whatever it was. And his whole thing was there to apologize for the things that the church had done and said, about them to them whatever and that's the thing that has stood out with me reading that book god 20 years ago now was that's what christianity looks like is being able to as a christian to look at society and go look we've gotten shit wrong and we're sorry because god loves you as much as he loves me and that's the way it works but and again i live in the deep south so that's very problematic where i live but i'm not going to stop being that person because the god that I choose to follow as my personal faith doesn't put me above somebody else and doesn't say that one person is worthy and another person is not. And again, to tie it back to star Wars, those were those Jedi stories and the hubris of the Jedi and the blinding to, you know, again, talking about clone Wars season seven, that middle part that I didn't care for the Martez sisters, that was very intentional to talk about the people that live down below. And Ahsoka getting the opportunity to see, oh, this is what it really looks like. This is what life is, not up in the Jedi Temple, not up in, you know, there's a reason for that story that I didn't care about at the time. But when I go back and revisit it, the story and the power is to say, yeah, we've gotten it wrong and we've got to figure out how we can help. Yep. That, that's a big uh, I deal. love the Martez sisters. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> um, love them. <laughs> Absolutely. I I like a lot of things in Star Wars when I think I know it all and realize I don't. I have that newfound appreciation the more I sit back and go, let's think about this for a minute. What are we really talking Mm -hmm. about here? Um, So number three, let's keep this moving, um, because, again, very appropriate. We have Ahsoka and Anakin. I love Ahsoka. I love Ahsoka. Maybe one of my top three or four characters in all of Star Wars, newly acquired over the last several years. Yeah, but this is a relationship that is also so important and has so many things that can be said. Uh, I mean, yeah, Ahsoka's everything, like just everything. And I love hearing that moment in the end of season five when she walks away from the Jedi Order is my favorite Star Wars moment of any Star Wars moment ever. I have said Mm -hmm. this many times. I am not the same human being after watching that episode. I have my own stories, and but I love listening to people because they all come with it from different things. Um, but I will forever be indebted to that character for that moment because of the freedom that she gave me and the weight that that scene lifted off my shoulders. Everything mm-hmm. we can talk about all day long, every day. <laughs> um, but the reason I put this here is because I I wish so badly for Anakin that he could have followed the lessons that he taught her. You know, he was, in a lot of ways, her parent. and. Right. You're as parents, a lot of times, you know, I think we all do a lot of preaching and sometimes we don't all of all always <laughs> follow our, our rules, even though we should. Classic um, parenting. And yeah, I think she, Ahsoka is the best of what Anakin could have been. 
plus some because she's amazing. But Mm -hmm. um, I love that. I love how honest she is with about him, you know, in in Rebels. I think she learns to walk away from him, too, just like she had to do. Right. And she's heartbroken, obviously. But in a way only Ahsoka could do is to walk away from that person who caused so much harm without any hatred in her um, mm-hmm. towards him. Um, and that scene, I just watched the Jedi today from the Mandalorian season two. Yes. Um, uh, just this morning when she talks about, I've seen what anger can do to the best of us is just mm-hmm. heartbreaking line. Um, Every bit. Because I, we've just, we've had so much time with Ahsoka and to see how she has grown and changed is really incredible to me. Um, and I think we got to see, we get to see who Anakin could have been to Luke and Leia. Yes. And I think that's, that's what I love right. about them. Yeah. That's what I love about them more than anything is mm-hmm. we get to see how good of a person Anakin actually was before, yeah. before the dark side got to him and corrupted and, him. And honestly highlighted, even in this picture that I picked from season seven, mm-hmm. that last little bit that they're together he was so happy to see her and he was so, you know, that good that was in Anakin before everything that we know is about to go down, goes down. It's so pure in this moment. It's so pure when he was glad to give the lightsabers back to her and then he had to rush off. Um, And obviously we know we have an Ahsoka series coming on Disney plus, and I'm very excited about that. If there's anything I may have wanted more in Star Wars in the last, I don't know how many years, I want five minutes. And we know now because of the end of Mandalorian season two that they can do it. I want five minutes of Ahsoka talking to Luke and Luke being able to tell Mm -hmm. her what happened at the end of Return of the Jedi. I want that moment for her to get that healing. Because like you said, in Rebels, that's when she had to walk away from it because they have in the episode when Kanan gets blinded and she faces off against Vader at that Sith temple, that was the moment that it hit her. You know, the mask gets cracked and she sees his eye and she says, Anakin, like that's when she knew it was over. That's when she knew this is, you know, my master is gone. My friend is gone. And she had that loss and she had to get away from that. And, you know, we get her Mm -hmm. back in the world between worlds and all that. But I want her to have those five minutes of healing where Luke is able to tell her, you know, she can say, Oh, I knew your dad. He was lost. And Luke gets to go, but he wasn't, he came back. Give me that in the first episode. I don't care about the rest of the series. Like (laughs) shut it down. We can be done. Yep. Yep. (laughs) And like, and like Jerry Uh says, I will not be okay, but I want it so Uh bad. It's so funny. I'm so concerned. Like I said, I mean, Ahsoka is probably my number one character above Mm -hmm. anything. Uh, But I'm like, oh, God, I don't know if I want a series. And it sounds so, like, bad. (laughs) I'm like, I I love Ahsoka's role now of coming in when she needs to be. Um, I get very emotional the parts thinking of that she's the one who gets to say the name Grogu for the first time. Because who else has the right to do that but her? Mm -hmm. And that is such an important part of Din's journey as a father, but it was also an incredibly important part um, outside of Star Wars and in pop culture in general. Yes. Um, 
and for her to be able to give that to the world, you know, because baby Yoda became something no one ever would have anticipated. (laughs) Correct. Without a doubt. Yeah. There's so much there. Well, let's jump into number two because this list has been phenomenal. (laughs) Another, another favorite pair of mine, C3PO and R2D2. Again, R2D2 is my favorite Star Wars character, top to bottom. My one, two, three basically is R2, Han Solo, and Ahsoka. And Ahsoka and Han may flip flop mm. from time to time. Those are my top three. But R2, I love R2D2. I love everything about R2D2. Oh. But this group, this pairing as a dynamic duo, there's a lot there. So tell us why you put them at your number two. I mean, they're just the definition of Star Wars banter. Everyone, we all know <laughs> Star Wars has great banter, and it does not it, like they're the they're the heart of that. I know there's Leia and Han, but no one does it better than you know that overweight garbage <laughs> heap. What what's the line? Oh God, now overweight I'm on, now I'm embarrassing of, of grease. There we go. Thank you. Yep. Um, yep. I just think they're so great. C three PO is one of my favorite characters. I love three PO. And I think they work without one another, but they never work quite as well. And I think that is proof of how good they are together because they are, I would like to think of that with my husband that I am only better when he's around. I'm not me without him. And that's, Mm -hmm. I I just feel that with three PO and R2 and um, I love it. I just, they're, they're perfect. (laughs) They are. And it has, you know, for all the things that we saw, you know, in the sixties and seventies, you know, they're the odd couple, you know, they're, mm-hmm. you know, they're the two that are, you know, mouthing off at each other. I, I learned from even an early age, just the tone of the beeps from R2. R2 cusses like a sailor oh. and he, he's got a mouth on him, maybe more so than Chopper, but Chopper, you can almost just... figure out what he's saying. <laughs> I was going to say, everyone always gives the credit to Chopper, but come on now, yeah. like R2, R2 is the original sailor. And, and in fairness, <laughs> And in fairness, Chopper is just concept art R2. So it it really, you know, it, it all comes it all comes from the same thing. But I agree with you. And, uh, and I loved, you know, in the Rise of Skywalker, I love the arc they gave 3PO because 3PO has never been my favorite. You know, he was a little too annoying, a little too whiny, a little too mm-hmm. prissy, a little too, you know, whatever. But that arc that they gave with, you know, the memory wipe and the whole, you know, and, and it still had the humor but I love the idea of, um, you know, R2 never had his memory wiped. And I've said this yep. multiple times. Um, one of my favorite books, despite the fact that its author now, you know, has had some problematic things he said over the years is Ender's Game, Orson Scott Card. I love that book. It, I read it in college as a part of a philosophy class. I love everything about it. And one of the things that I love that came out of that book was they had the concept, they call it the speaker for the dead. You know, for us, it would be a eulogist. It would be somebody who gave a eulogy or whatever, but it was a different kind of cultural thing. And that was the person that when you died, stood and spoke in your stead and told your story. R2-D2 is Leia's speaker for the dead. He was with her in those opening scenes. And as much as I wanted him to be on the adventure at the end, he was by her side where he needed to be, where he was supposed to be because he saw that story through from the beginning, even before that with Padme, you know, uh, all the way from, you know, top to bottom. So as much as I love that Palpatine was the big bad through the whole arc of the nine movies, I love that R2 has play from the first movie to the last movie as Mm -hmm. the witness to this entire saga. Yeah. To me, that's really powerful. And so to have his counterpoint in C3PO is, you know, 
it, it's just phenomenal. And like Jerry said, when he says in the trope, oh, that's not it. When 3PO yeah. took a last moment to take one last look at his friends, you know, that, that's one of those, it got dusty in here moments. <laughs> it was just powerful because, 100%. you know, he made a choice and, you know, we've all made difficult choices. And, you know, I would hope that if I had to make a choice to lay down my life for my friends, I would make it, but I'd want to see them one more time. I would want to go. I love you guys. That's why we're here or whatever. So, uh, you can't beat, you know, this couple from, from the silliest of the sillies to the powerful emotional moments that they bring as well. There's both of it. Yep. Um, 100%. All right. So number one, and we've hinted at number one a little bit along the way. And I think this is important. And I love that it's your number one because it relates back to the story you told about pride last year, you know, the yep. Mandalorian rewatch stuff. So your number one, not entirely surprising is Din and Grogu. <laughs> The floor is yours, my friend. Man, Din and Grogu, this is everything to me. Um, uh, my three characters, I think we all have our three, but I, Luke Skywalker, uh, Ahsoka, and I never thought that they could be topped. And I'm not sure, sure if they're topped. They're all, they share the same space. But Din Jaren, um has just become so incredibly powerful and important. And... Like good Star Wars, every time when that first announcement came out, they were going to have a Boba Fett TV show as our first live action <laughs> show. I was like, really? Yep. I mean, Boba Fett's rad, but all right. I yeah, you know, I don't know if I need that. <laughs> yeah, like he looks cool. All right, this is yeah. great. What ifs? Um, but then that show started. And from the very first shot of him yep. walking into that bar, I just felt like he was a queer person. I felt like the first time that I walked into a gay bar after everyone telling me that I'm not good enough, that I'm not this, I'm not that. And finally, and just like, I am not um, like a huge drinker or anything, but sure. as queer people for a lot of us, especially back in, you know, the nineties and all that bars <laughs> are where we had to go. That was where it was right. safe, you know, and yeah. during certain times of, of our, our history, it was literally the only place that was safe for you to stand. Right. In. Um, and so I felt that from him, that it was the one place where he was kind of with his other people um, in Bounty Hunters, you know, and mm -hmm. he was just kind of relaxed there. Um, and so I just I had this connection to him just from the very get go. And then we get Grogu at the end and the entire world obviously was shocked <laughs> and it was great <laughs> and that was exciting. But then as that show went on, um, and especially the, by the end of season two is where everything really just started to hit home. Um, mm -hmm. their relationship and Den's journey as a character. Um, again, I just, I can relate to as a queer person of trying to figure out how to like, how to come out to myself and be internalized with that. And you feel kind of beat up on the outside, like his old armor. And then you get to this point yep. where you're like, no, I'm going to be here and I'm cool. And then he gets this shiny new armor. So he <laughs> announces it to everybody. But then all of a sudden you threw yourself out in the world, you came out and now you got to deal with the repercussions. Yep. And he went through all of that during season one. Um, and he just, to me, never felt really, he never felt worthy as a human. I mean, he was, wasn't Mandalorian enough to be a true Mandalorian. Mm -hmm. He wasn't a good enough bounty hunter to be a bounty hunter. You know, he was had a lot of stuff thrown his way. 
And then he meets this little baby and the baby brought the absolute best out in him. And yes. he had moments where I don't think he always feels um, worthy to be Grogu's dad. Um, but I know I have felt that way. And then, you know, and it's like, there's this little interracial family and that's my family. And then we met mm. Din Cobb. We met Cobb Vance and I'm convinced <laughs> they're going to be together. I am a big Din Cobb fan. <laughs> but, you know, just this moment of by the end of season two, um, I think Din has accepted, you know, when he hears Grogu for the first time and Grogu turns to him with his little face lit up, it was this moment. Um, but I think my, my very favorite moment of, of Mandalorian. It's probably up there in my top moments of all of Star Wars because of yeah. how it makes me feel. But sure. that scene, I think it was the second episode of season two when that bounty hunter went to get Grogu mm -hmm. and, you know, he sets him on the ground in exchange for his backpack or whatever. And Grogu runs across to him. Yes. And I know it was cute and there's cute little gifts there, <laughs> but it really, really hits me close to home. Um, mm -hmm. because in that moment to me, Grogu called him dad for the first time and like Absolutely. knew who he was. And <laughs> I, I know the mo you know, we never cared what our kids called us. Um, and I hinted to this with, with Omega and Hunter too, but there's a mm -hmm. moment when, and you know, Grogu has been through a lot of trauma. Like he's been through, we don't even know everything he's been through yet. Right. But who knows how many homes he's been to? Who knows how horribly he was treated? He's just broken when Din first meets him. And as much as Din doesn't feel like he can be a father to him, he's the first person I think who looks at Grogu as a, as a person. Because I will also say while he was in the Jedi Temple, all he was was a future Jedi and was right. not treated as a human being because we've seen what the Jedi Correct. did to their Padawans. Um, but here's Din who just looks at him as a human and he ran to him for probably the first time in his entire life that he got to run to someone who was, who mm -hmm. he knew would be there to help him. And that just, especially our son, Eli, who was the last, our last son to move in mm -hmm. was just broken. When we first met him, he was just this, he was empty and it was it's heartbreaking to see it. I hate seeing those early pictures, but to see these moments when our children, first call us dad or realize that they're not going anywhere. Just right. It's so incredibly emotional. And I never thought I would see that story in star Wars. And for the first time, I feel like I see myself in star Wars and I've always loved it, but I kind of had to look for myself in it. And I think until the Mandalorian, I never understood rep representation as much as I probably should, which I talk about that stuff on here, but I understood what it's like to see yourself for the first time. I understood what it was like for when I hear stories of women, when Ray grabbed that lightsaber for the first time, like I saw it in that moment that Grogu ran up into his little arms. Mm -hmm. um, it's, like, <clears throat> it's just everything. So I no, that relationship will never be top for me. There's just, there's just no way. <laughs> Absolutely. No and way. I love this comment that Framey threw in there that said exactly what you're saying. And since the Jedi Grogu had been an asset and a commodity, Din gave Grogu a safe place and a family. And, yeah. you know, we see that and we see the evolution of Din from, you know, he was, a, it was a job. It was just a job. He was going to do the thing. And so you yeah. have that, you know, very classic storytelling moment when he's dropped him off to 
what's his name? You know, the, um, Flavor Flav. <laughs> yeah. That's what we call him. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> so he drops him off and he comes back and he's sitting on the ship and he's getting ready to go. And he looks down at that little shifty knob with the ball on it that Grogu loved to play with. And he has that moment of, ah, oh, damn it, I've got to go back. Like, whether he wanted to or not, he was in the tank for that kid at that moment. And so it was yep. time to go. So he goes back. He messes a bunch of stuff up because he's getting that kid back. And, you know, I love the um, the my buddy moment from the trailer for season two. You know, wherever he goes, I go. Like, he's committed. He's set his path. Yep. But I also think that begs an interesting question. And I'd love to hear just a couple minutes of your thoughts about this. Because what we get at the end of season two is not what we get with Hunter and Omega, where Hunter tells Omega, you never have to go back there. Din gives Grogu to Luke. And it is that I see it from a parental standpoint of knowing what he needs, but it's not the same. Like, that's hard. I would love, you know, I know you have thoughts about that. What are your thoughts about that moment where he when he gives Grogu to Luke? Oh, it's not popular, my thoughts. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> They're not popular. Um, I am so angry at Luke Skywalker. I I love Luke, but I am so mad at him. He did. He's taken the wrong lessons from the Jedi, and Grogu does not need to go with Luke. Like, he found his father, and Luke just took him away from his father. Like, that is what he did. Um, he's just now just going to be treated like like a commodity again and not be seen as a person um, because Luke is going down the wrong path, which, cause we haven't met him yet in, in the last should I, you know, um, you don't take children away from the people who love them, especially children with trauma who have like never had someone to love them before. And like, he just right. took him. I'm so upset. I feel I'm heartbroken for Din because I feel like Din was getting there of, accepting who he was and mm -hmm. um and he fail he fell because here he was and in that moment and you know honestly as queer people i as a queer person i've had to feel that way like i've had to give it up for the next person over because they're straight and i felt that they were you know sure. there's still internal stuff that we all have to go through that somehow i feel they were more entitled to something because they're straight and i'm not mm -hmm. and um I just, I'm heartbroken for Din because I know Din knows it's the wrong thing, but he also Absolutely. doesn't know, he doesn't know what to do because he, he doesn't feel, yes. Yeah. Um, well, and I love, I love what Framie said right here and it feeds into what we talked about and professing our love for Luke yeah. in the last Jedi. Framie said that was Luke's overconfidence in action. And I love yeah. the idea that Luke's decision in this moment to take Grogu to go do the training. Obviously Luke is impacted by the failing of his Academy with Ben and that whole mm -hmm. deal, but somewhere piling on those rocks of trauma that Luke is going to carry into going into hiding, going disconnecting from the force. You know, I would certainly think this is one of the marks in that list of things that he looks back yep. on and realizes oh. like, like the Jedi, I was overconfident. I was in the wrong. A hundred percent. And I'm sure we're going to get that story. Like, I think we will get that story. This is, Absolutely. this is part of, we did, um, you know, we did a podcast with my Tom, with Tom after this episode. And then we did a live stream where we went into a lot of the stuff. Cause let me tell you, I was not good this day. I don't even like, <laughs> I was, just, I was just not good. Um, I was so upset. I was mad. Sure. 
I'm still angry. Um, but I understand so much. Um, but what I, I'm really hoping for is I'm looking forward to Din going back to get his baby because I don't think it's going to be as simple as Luke giving him over. I don't think Luke is in that journey. I think I'm excited as it, from a story perspective, I loved what happened because I feel like it is what you were saying. We're starting to build bricks towards the last Jedi Luke. And I'm here for that as a story element, just as a, an emotional viewer, I was not here with it. Um, but I do, I think this is going to step like start to put some of those seeds into Luke of, Oh, I'm not doing the right things. You know, um, mm-hmm. because I feel I don't feel good about Din going to get Grogu back. I don't feel like Luke is just going to say, OK, I know he's your son. Here you go. I don't think it's going <laughs> to go down that way. Yeah, um, it's uh, I'm very interested to see where they're going to go with this. And obviously we have some time because we're going to get Book of Boba Fett first, which only builds my desire to go. No, 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 no. I need you to resolve this story sooner rather than later. <laughs> um, but, you know, Lucasfilm tends to know what they're doing. Disney tends to know what they're doing. As yep. a general rule, they have got us right where they want us for the time being. So yep. as much as I don't like that, I have to accept that and be excited about the other stories I'm going to get until we get that story and the resolution to that story. So, yep. Same. Um, Same. yeah, it was that's such a fantastic top seven list. And I'm so glad that we did that. And like I said, and this is why when you put that out there, when we were emailing back and forth and I thought, well, I've done this a couple of times. But the other two times were fantastic, but they were nothing like this list. And again, this list and this idea of pairs, couples, duos, partners, whatever you want to call it in Star Wars really is evergreen because it can cover so much ground. And a lot of that, I think, is informed by the perspective of the person making the list. This was your list. This was Brian's list that was informed by being adopted, being queer, having adopted children like that informs your list differently than if it's my top seven duo list. And that's why I was so excited to hear what you had to say and to hear, you know, the things that would come out of your list and see how it's different than mine. I did throw in as a bonus and I do this on occasion. I need to put this back up on the screen. Um, It's not going to be any big surprise. I've made jokes about it, but I mean it. Callus and Zeb, where'd my screen go? Add to screen. Oh, here we go. Okay. Mm -hmm. These two guys. In Rebels, this relationship that, of course, started out as adversarial, started out with Callus <laughs> with the Empire, the turn when he becomes Fulcrum. Or actually, it starts with them being stranded on that mm-hmm. frost moon or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. They have to escape. They kind of have this uneasy truce. But the friendship, and so in this picture, at the end, when we get the wrap-up and the, you know, kind of the cap on the series, is Zeb essentially taking Callus home to meet his family. You know, uh-huh. he's taking them to the, um, what's his species? Um, I'm totally blanking on it now. Oh, um, oh uh, I am too. Yeah. Anyhow, concept art Chewbacca goes home <laughs> to meet his family. Um, Darn it. Yeah. But he Take goes. Take our Star Wars cards away. That's right. So we'll mail them in together. <laughs> um, but they go, and, and I just love this scene. Like, all the trauma that they had been through as a species. Lasat, that's it. Framey's mm-hmm. got us the Lasat people and he takes them in those earlier episodes, they take them home to their new planet, their new place to live. And so when Zeb takes Callus, there's that healing moment, of course. And that's what I think it's intended to be in the story. But I look at it as Zeb taking Callus to meet his parents and to take, to meet his family yeah. and to say, he's my, he, this is my guy. This is my guy. We're here together. We've been through stuff. We mm-hmm. started out as enemies 
and now we're friends, maybe lovers, maybe whatever. And I just love that. Not I maybe. loved that arc Not in maybe. that story. Definitely love it. Not maybe. Definitely. That's right. Because Zeb, if Zeb were straight, he would not have his hand on his buddy's shoulder for that long that's because right. he would be that straight guy who just he, like, couldn't be that do big, that. that. Yeah. Oh, no way, man. That's weird. Uh -huh. No. <laughs> and, and Cal would not look. You don't look at your friend's parents that way. Look that's at right. that nervous, like he's a little yeah. bit nervous and also yeah. proud. He's seeking acceptance All of it. right there. Yes. You don't do yep. that. No, it's true. Yep. No, nope. Yeah, this, this is this is this is legit coupling moment here. So that that was my bonus add on to your list. So, um, like I said, a, a big favorite of mine. Um, Brian, I cannot thank you enough for this conversation tonight. I can't thank you for the opportunity to hang out, to have a drink, to talk, to hear your story. I've heard your story through the podcast, through listening to your shows. But to get to ask questions, to get to kind of hear it on a one to one basis really means a lot to me. Um, and like I said before, especially during Pride Month, I didn't have you on because it was Pride Month, but I'm thankful that I got to have you during Pride Month um, because I love you as a person. I love your family. I don't know y'all, but I know your story and that is enough for me to love y'all. And so tell everybody I've got, um, let me get it up here on the screen. Um, you made a choice and you tweeted it out today that you were shutting down your personal Twitter. I'm so, I'm, I'm so admiring of that. <laughs> And honestly, I don't use my personal one nearly as much as I use the show one yeah. for the sake of promoting the show. So I totally understand where you're coming from. Yeah. Um, but I know that everybody can find you on Twitter at Serving Pink Milk. Yep. You guys have a YouTube channel. Tell everybody not only where to find you, but what you've got coming up. We've talked a little bit about the episode you've got dropping this week. Yes. So uh, Wednesday's episode of the time of this recording is another really great one so nick if you liked that talk with luke like wednesday's episode um is really really great we have ben from uh the katana cast with us mm -hmm. and they share um they're very vulnerable and very open i'm incredibly grateful to share the space um Absolutely. with this conversation um it's really amazing. Um, and then on Friday for our late night live stream, we have a special announcement. So everyone, please tune in for that. I'm very excited um, for what's about to come. Uh, uh, yeah. So um, really great things. We have a podcast on Wednesdays. Then we have our live stream on Friday nights on YouTube. And that comes out on podcast form on Mondays. Um, we always talk Star Wars. And when we talk Star Wars, we always talk Star Wars queerly. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I, I cannot encourage our listeners, our viewers, anybody who hears our voices right now. I cannot encourage you enough to go subscribe to Pink Milk, go subscribe to their YouTube channel, download their podcast. It really is such great conversations, so genuine, so heartfelt. And like I said, listening to these conversations speaks to me on different levels, which is what I love about the universality, not only of life, but of the Star Wars community that we have because your experiences and my experiences are not the same, but there's still stories and connecting points in there that speak to my soul and speak to my heart. And so I'm so thankful for you. I'm thankful for your friendship and the chance to get to hang out and talk tonight. I am also thankful for everybody that has showed up and hung out with us in the live chat. Thank y'all for being here. Y'all are an equally important part of the show to have the opportunity to hear your thoughts, to hear the things that you guys think. Um, be sure to follow us. We are on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Will's Pod. Um, on YouTube, we are... Oh, yeah. We're about to get to that, Jerry. Uh, on YouTube, we're <laughs> youtube.com slash podcast of the Wills. And I have to throw a plug in for my man, Jerry. 
because last week Jerry started his own show on Monday nights called Hyperfocus. It's on the Bombadcast channel. I was able, lucky enough, to be the first guest on Hyperfocus. And the second guest on Hyperfocus tomorrow night is one and only Mr. Brian Barry. So Brian is going to be on with Jerry tomorrow night. Y'all go check that out. Go subscribe to Bombadcast. I love <laughs> what Jerry's doing with that show. And I'm a little bit jealous of it because I talk exclusively Star Wars on this show. And so the fact that he has the opportunity just to literally go wherever the road takes him. Last week, we talked about parenting. We talked about Ghostbusters. We talked about, gosh, I don't even remember what. But it's such a fun opportunity to just talk and mm -hmm. let the road lead you where it goes. So y'all check Jerry out tomorrow night on the Bombadcast on Monday. Um, Bombadcast channel, Hyperfocus is the show. Check that out. And I look forward to seeing everybody. We are off next Sunday because next Sunday is July the 4th. We're going to take next Sunday off. But we will be back the week after. And you'll see some information about that show coming up soon. So thank you for hanging out. Thank you for being a part of the podcast of the Wills community. And until we are again together again next time, may the force be with you always. Thank you.